ask Rick to come and share with us for a few minutes this morning. Um, these guys uh, are getting ready to head out into the mission field. Yeah. It's like anybody that like does that big jump of faith, I was like, we need to hear from them. So the heralds, please. Good. Thank you. Well, uh, my name is Rick Harold. This is my wife, Susan Harold. And uh, we are actually a part, of, we're a part of a sister church of you guys. We're down at Seacoast Vineyard down in Myrtle Beach. And this is the first time in six years I've been able to break away from Sunday morning and come and worship with you guys. So it is so good to finally get here. And, and let me just say, you know, because anytime we come and speak to a church and, and anytime I get to preach, I usually come with an agenda. But I, I just want to say, it is so exciting and such a privilege to speak into uh, such a faith-filled, compassionate congregation like this. You guys, I mean, just during the worship time, don't ever, don't ever take that for granted, how God just raises our faith and lifts us up in, in our ability to love others when we worship Him. He does an awesome work in our lives when we do that. So it's such a privilege to be able to be here and speak to you guys um, and knowing that you already have such a missionary heart already that you're giving yourselves away on a regular basis. And so, uh, so it's a privilege for us to be here. I grew up in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, right outside of, well, outside of Atlanta, Pine Mountain. And I grew up in a church that's a lot like this. When I walked in this morning, I felt, oh, I love seeing the kids around and running up and down the aisles and Everybody knows any, everybody, and you're hugging on each other. And you have a pastor who loves you, and you have friends here. That's where I grew up in. And, man, that's a gift, like Rick said. You know, that's a gift because not everybody has that. And when you're, when you're on a journey, which all of us are, to, to please God and to live our lives for Jesus, we look around at where we are right now and what does he want us later and when I was growing up in that, I accepted Jesus when I was 10, when I was baptized. And like I said, in church, a lot like this. And we had a lot of people in our church, in and out, who were missionaries, who came in and out to share with us about the rest of the world. And every time they spoke, I was riveted. And I was like, wow, there's a bigger world out there. And there's people that don't know Jesus. When we were driving up here this morning from North Myrtle, I bet you we passed 200 churches. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of churches. But you know what? That's not normal in the rest of the world. It's really not. And I remember when the first time Rick and I left to go to Italy, which is where we're going back to, we were driving around. It was like, wait a minute, where are all the churches? And there's not very many. There's, there's basilicas and there's a lot of cathedrals, but there's not a lot of people in churches that have this, what you have and that lean on Jesus, and that know that they have that salvation, and they have that hope. And so we're on a journey, and we wanted to share part of it with you this morning. Good. So, uh, so what we want to do, we want to try and accomplish just a couple of things we, in 10 minutes, which is about now four, right? So, okay. So can we put a, uh, um, count, a countdown up on the screen, please? So, and uh, so we want to share a little bit about our journey. That's one of the things we want to share. But we also want to share with you a little bit of, about the need. Why are we even going to Italy? When you think about Italy, you think, oh, that's like 
Catholic country. There, everybody knows who Jesus is there, right? That's where the Pope lives. And, uh, and so you got this idea of what a country in Europe might be like because of all the beautiful cathedrals and the basilicas. And, um, and so we want to share with you a little bit about the why, uh, the needs that we saw and the reason we're going. But then we also want to share with you just some practical things that you can do because we're all on the journey to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. We're all on that journey to reach our globe, our world for Christ in whatever way we can leverage who we are to do so. And so we just want to accomplish a couple of things like that today. Let me share with you uh, one of the three numbers. We want to give you three numbers today to remember. The first number is the number five. The number five. Actually, it's not the number five, but that's easier to remember because it's really five billion of the seven billion people in the world. Five billion live in countries and neighborhoods and towns and villages and cities where they will likely, from their birth to their death, never meet a Christian. They will never meet a Christian, much less ever get a chance to hear the gospel. That's a large, large point. That's like looking at this congregation right here and these first five rows. If they were standing up over here and saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, and all of you out here would be the rest of the globe, and you couldn't hear them. You couldn't hear them because they were too far away. So the first number is five. The second number is four. Four represents the number of Bible-teaching churches that are in the city where we're going to be moving to. Four. Four. Not 200. Four. (laughs) There's about 200,000 people in the town of Padova, which is outside of Venice. And there are four Bible-teaching churches, churches that teach Jesus loves you, teaches that you can have salvation, that you can have a relationship with God. It's not just about rules. It's about a relationship. Four. It's, the city is the size of two, Colum- Columbia. two Columbias in the United States, and there's four churches. Right. Four is also a pretty significant number, too. Because it, it, uh, it represents that, um, that these four churches that are within this city, they're surrounded by a kind of a, a quadrant. There's a, uh, a piazza. And we've been to Padova a couple of times. And um, I actually lost my passport there one time. So we were very intimately involved with Padova when we lived in Italy back in 2008, 9, and 10. But there's this, this piazza that is the square for the city. And on either side of the piazza, there's this, uh, there's this uh, kind of museum area. All of, these, all of these sites that all the tourists come to see. And we toured the basilica there. It's a very famous basilica. And, um, and we, we saw all the relics in the relic room. And we saw all the beautiful stained glass. But you know what was missing? The missing element was the people who were there to worship God. And every time that we went in there, it was more filled with tourists than it was with people who were genuinely engaging with a relationship with Jesus and finding life in him. And so that square, that quadrant, that piazza, is, that's, what it's, that's what represents the city of Padova. Man, this is really fast. Because <laughs> we were talking about this the other night. We went on for like hours. And I'm like, how are we going to do this in 10 minutes? <laughs> But we were talking about, you know, why 
and, and people always ask, I say, why are you drawn to be a missionary? Why are you, why do you want to leave? I mean, we live in paradise, you know. We live at the beach. And why do you want to leave? And uh, I don't know. I, grow, I guess growing up like I did with hearing missionaries and stuff and knowing the need. I also read a statistic, and it just, it just gripped my heart. In the United States, we have about, what do they say, how many million people? 30 million, something like that? 300 million, something like that. We're 4% of the globe, the United States. I mean, like all of us. However, 90% of all trained pastor full-time workers live in the United States. 90% live in 4% of the world. And it's like, wow, that seems a little off balance to me. And I remember when Rick and I first got married, he was a pastor. Like I said, I grew up missionary stuff. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't grow up missionary. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, so when are we going on the mission field? And he went, huh? <laughs> I'm not going on the mission field. I was like, but there's all those people in the world that don't know Jesus. And he was like, I'm fine right here. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, what? So for 20 years, we've been married 30 years. For 20 years, I was like, are we going to do this now? Are we going to do this now? And he was like, no, no. Then we went on a short-term trip. I noticed you guys are doing a trip to Mexico, right? And we went on a short-term trip. God changed his heart. And he began to see people. And was like, wow, this, these people need Jesus. These people need something that I have in my heart and I can share with them. And he called us out. He said, I want you to put down what you have here, and I want you to go where I'm sending you. That was a big thing, and he told him. And then I was like, yes. <laughs> so so that's, that's the part of our journey that we wanted to share with you, is that we saw need, we saw what God is doing, and we, we said, yes, this is our part. So, uh, so going on a short-term trip is one of the best ways that you can. You're stepping up because we need to finish up. Yeah, no. Well, I'm gonna, let me let me let me wrap it up with just a couple of thoughts. I, I want to give you something practical because I was out. I, I, who was I talking to? Was it David or I can't remember who I was talking to already this morning. And and he really did he really did give us a gift by sharing some of the things that he wanted to know more about what we're doing. And going on a short term trip, giving up seven to ten days of your time in one year can really change your heart. You come back from short term trips with a whole different perspective. Depending on where you go, you have a different kind of perspective about what the church is all about. And it's one of those, it's one of those things that you can practically do for not too much money and not too much time out of your schedule. But beware, because God can and often does grip your heart for that same city, that same country, or for some other place in the world. So that's one of the practical things that you can do. The second practical thing that really touched my heart is that I just began to read the Bible with, with an, an eye to what God was saying about the world. He's been madly in love with this globe since day one. And all the way through the Bible, you can see that God is always saying to the, to the people in the world, come, come, come and follow me. Come and lay down your burdens. Come and lay down your weariness. Come and know me. Come and follow me. And then the second word that you see him saying all the time is go. Go where I'm sending you. Go where the needs are. I'm, I'm going to scatter you around the world. And God's going to, and he's going to change the world because people choose to go. Practically, 
I think a lot of times people think, well, if I'm going to be a missionary, that means I've got to be a Bible teacher or I've got to be a pastor or I've got to be some kind of a super spiritual saint to be able to do that. But you know who God changed the world with in the first century? He changed the world with fishermen and plumbers and tent makers and businessmen and tax collectors. He changed people. He changed the world with people that do the same kind of things that you do. And the same things that you do, you can sometimes do there and be in the middle of a culture that we're going to Italy. And if I walked into a room of 100 people, I would be one of two Christians in that room. I would be one of two people who had said, yes, that Jesus is God and he is my Lord. And the rest of that room would be wondering, how do I, how do I have hope? Who do I hope in? How can I know God? And so, so uh, practically, read the Bible with eyes to see that God loves the world and he's called us not only to come to him but to go to the world. And then take advantage of the short-term trips that you have a chance to do. And I'll close with that. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to pray for you guys at the end of service. Good. We're going to bless them. And there's going to be some, uh, they're going to have an email sign up where you guys could sign up to st- stay in touch and all that uh, there. And um, for those of you all that, you know, are familiar with me, I kind of how Rick was saying, I ended up, uh, on the mission field for a number of years. I, uh, I ended up in Indonesia and was going to stay there for a few months and ended up staying there for three years. And uh, I was, you know, back and forth a little bit, visa runs and all that other good stuff. But um, I love missions. So um, let's pray, and then we're going to open the scriptures this morning. Uh, Lord God, we just thank you for today and this morning, God. Uh, Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, God, that this would be the day, even now at this moment, that you're drawing them to yourself, Lord. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about the cross of Christ and his resurrection. And we're going to pick up in Luke uh, right after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Two guys are on this road walking to Emmaus, Luke 24, starting with verse 13. So, the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus that was seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But, But God kept them from recognizing him he asked them what are you discussing so intently as you walk along they stopped short sadness written across their faces then one of them one of them cleophas replied you must be the only person in jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened here the last few days what things jesus replied to which there's so much irony in that like what things from Jesus, and then, anyway, so, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and the other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now, listen to this part. 
we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Now skip with me over to verse 27. Jesus begins to talk to them. And he says this, he says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets and explained from the scriptures the things that concerning himself, the things concerned concerning himself. By the time that they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going to go on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So we went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he, he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he was gone. Isn't that the way it works? Like, there he goes. Boom, he's gone. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and he explained the scriptures to us? And on that very hour, they set their way back to Jerusalem. So there's this amazing story. This is after the resurrection and Jesus comes and, and there's these two guys that are taking this walk to Emmaus. And Jesus begins by asking uh, a few questions, which... Uh, you know, these questions, what are you guys talking about? Um, what, what, what things? What things happened? What are you talking about? What things? Now, here's a little insight 101. Whenever Jesus asks you a question, it's not that he's looking for that he doesn't know the answer. If Jesus asks you a question, that's a good indication that you really don't know the answer. And he's trying to get something in you and through you. And see, I've learned that, like, anytime the Lord speaks to me, I need to step back for a second and say, well, hold on a second, God. Because I know that you know the answer. And see, often in the Bible, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. And I've learned that this principle here really applies to marriage. Because listen, guys, Jesse, he just got married. Let me give you a little bit of marriage 101. Whenever a woman asks you a question... It's not that she doesn't know the answer. She knows the answer. All right? She's just trying to teach you something. She's trying to get something in you and through you. And I've learned this. Like, when my wife asks me questions, it's not that she doesn't know. Like, one of the big ones are, honey, what do you think about this outfit? Which one should I wear? That's the worst question you could ask a man. And and this, this happened. This is a true story. All right? Like, I've learned that this is in ladies at a very young age. So my daughter, five years old, Daddy, come with me to my room. Okay. She has these two shirts laid on the table or on, the, on her bed. Daddy, which shirt should I wear? <sighs> well, honey, which pants were you thinking about wearing with them? So she goes and she gets a couple pants and she puts them by the shirt. And I say, baby, I, I, I like this one. And to which she just pauses. And she says, yeah, Dad, but this one's really cute. Like, seriously, daughter? Like, are you serious? You're five years old, and you already cared nothing about my opinion. You know, and she's like, and she picked the other one. And like, you know, Dad, and so I even, like, I switched the pants. I was like, but what if you put these pants with this one? No, this is really cute, Dad, don't you think? See, they know the answer. 
They know the answer. And Jesus already knows the answer. But here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus realizes that he's walking with these men. He walks with us. And he realizes that within all of us, we have certain predispositions. Dispositions. That's the word. I can't spell it. I can barely say it. Predispositions on the way that our mind works and the way that our thinking works. See, for these guys, when somebody dies on a cross, they're dead. So they even go on later to say, man, we had hoped. And, and, and so Jesus knows from the very beginning, listen, if I was to just lay this all out on the table, listen, no, th- this is part of the journey. So he walks with them on this seven-mile journey. He's willing to walk with them and uh, all of it because there's something inside of them that needs to change. See, they've got some bad thinking right now. See, Jesus has told them all along, listen, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to face the cross. There's going to be resurrection. But they couldn't hear it. They couldn't understand it. And, and Jesus takes the time to walk with them, to talk with them, to say, listen, he's opening up their minds to possibilities. And see, one of the greatest possibilities that he's trying to get in these men and that he's trying to get in us today is this one simple idea, and that's resurrection. See, because if you can believe in resurrection, you can believe in anything. Because if this is the God that can raise someone from the dead, that means, man, he could take care of that thing. He could take care of those bills. He could take care of that broken relationship. He could take care of that marriage. Because this is the God that can raise the dead. But see, within our minds, within our thinking, we already have these predispositions and these pre-thoughts. And, and even though we're asking other people's opinions, we really don't care. Because we've already made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. And I'll just kind of keep doing this until I find someone that agrees with what I already agree with. And that'll make me feel better for doing the thing that I'm doing. Right? Come on now. You know you've done it. And Jesus knows this. So Jesus is trying to like, he's trying to change something in them. He's trying to go from we had hoped to we have hope. Even though, even though on the outside all of this looks like this has happened, even though it looks like everything is falling apart, we serve a God of resurrection. And Jesus knows this. And see, they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. Now, this is amazing because to them, he's just a traveler. Jesus is just a traveler. Uh, this happens all the time throughout Scripture. Actually, uh, even in, in John's account, uh, it, it says when Mary saw him, she thought, he, supposing he was a gardener. So, uh, uh, man, this guy, he's a gardener. Uh, uh, later on when he appears to the disciples, they thought he was a ghost. Man, like, all of these things, like, he's constantly, I mean, they didn't recognize him. And yet Jesus had these moments where we'll go on and he says, like, we're going to break this bread. We're going to eat. We're, he gets to the disciples that, that they fry up some fish. And he's eating. He says, listen, touch, touch this flesh. Ghosts don't have flesh. Like, ghosts don't eat bread. Ghosts don't eat fish. We're having breakfast together. There's very much a relationship involved. And, and see, if we look after the resurrection, at every gospel account, where every time there's this encounter with Jesus, there's a certain pattern, pattern that begins to emerge. And on one hand, the, the first thing that often happens is this doubt. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how strong in the faith they are. I mean, Peter and all the apostles, there's this doubt. There's these ones on the road to Emmaus. There, there's the ladies that are bringing the spices to the tomb. Everyone supposes, even though Jesus told them that, man, he is dead in the grave. 
And then there's, there's resurrection. This is the greatest moment in all of history. All of history. And there's doubt. And, and then the next thing you know is, well, there, there, there's some kind of food involved. Jesus is constantly like, well, he's, he's breaking bread and he's eating this fish and he's appearing to them. And, and, and he begins to have this relationship. There's this communion that takes place after the resurrection. And then there's always like there's this opening of scriptures. He begins to explain the scriptures to people. He begins to remind the disciples of everything that he told them of what would happen. He begins to re- remind these two guys uh, of, of what the scripture said would happen. And he did it from the Old Testament. So it's like, listen. So there, there's this doubt. There's the scriptures. And then there's this communion, this relationship, this meal. And it happens time and time again. And in verse, 40, verse 41, after experiencing all of this, it says, And still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Did you catch that? They stood there with disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. See, you could come to church, and you could be filled with joy you could be filled with wonder. You could have a good time and still be full of disbelief. See, you could, you, you could hear the music and never really worship. You could hear the sermon and never really see Jesus. See, these were ones even that knew the scriptures. And, and, and they, they, they read them, but they didn't really understand and yet Jesus was like, look, let me show you in the Old Let me show you through the writings of Moses. All of this was pointing to Jesus. All of this was saying, like, they, they didn't see that. There's this joy and there's this wonder, and yet there could still be this doubt. Um, imagine this. Imagine washing your car, and you got your, your bucket and your soap and your hose and you're washing your car, and getting it all clean. And, and at some point, like, the water splashes off of the car and onto you, right? And you get little sprinkles uh, uh, of, of, the, of the car wash. Now, it would be a mistake to think that you got washed because a few drops of water hit you, right? Now, the, the car got washed. You were just close enough to get some of the residuals, right? And see, so you could come to church, and God could be pouring out his spirit on the person next to you. And you could catch a few residuals. And you could get filled with joy. And you could get filled with wonder that, oh, wow, that happened. And still be full of disbelief. And, and still be walking side by side with Jesus and not recognize him. And, and, and this happens time and time again. And, and so it begs the question, like, you know, at, at this point in the sermon, like, you have zero hope. Because, <laughs> like, you, Lucas, you're telling me, okay, like, I could walk right beside him, still not recognize him. Uh, I, could, I could see him and, and still not recognize him. We could even share this communion and still miss out. I could read the scriptures and still at some level not understand Jesus. And at what point does it flip? At what point does hope arise? At what point... Do these questions get answered that we could see Jesus and know him and it go from we have had hope to we have hope? And here's the trick. I think actually the answer is in the questions. You see, even with the scriptures, 
See, they were all looking through them of just like, well, this is just the writings until Jesus came alongside. Like, all of this in the Old Testament, you've got to see it filtered through the cross now. If there's something that you don't understand, you've got to filter it through the cross. Everything that, that was written, and there's all types of things that make us step back and say, well, I'm not exactly sure. It now has to be filtered through the cross. It has to be filtered through the life and the teachings of Christ. And, and God knows this. And, and when you do this, you'll see that it, it changes something about you and God. And you'll, you'll no longer see a God that's angry at you, but you'll see a God that loves you. You'll see a God that loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And when you read that verse that's been, we've heard it our whole lives, for God so loved the world. And all of a sudden, when you see that through the lens of the cross, all of a sudden, everything that that used to be a question mark with the writings of the Old Testament, God, it just seems like you're ready to destroy people all the time. But wait a minute, that can't be the case because you so loved. You so loved the world. And she said, all of this stuff, all these, everything gets answered through me. And there's hope in me. There's hope in me. There's life in me. There's these scriptures that we read and we filter them through the life of Jesus. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. There's forgiveness of sin. And there's communion. There's this relationship. There's the breaking of bread. There's the fish fry on the beach. And and we have this communion with, with God and we realize Oh, man, God, you're, you're not a God, God that's far away. You're not just the God that's way up there. You're a God that's right here. And you're with me. And you're willing to break bread with me. And you're willing to walk with me. You're willing to walk this seven-mile journey to this place that, honestly, you're not even going. Because we find them back in Jerusalem a couple seconds later. But yet Jesus is willing to take this journey with a group of men just for the relationship. See, you've got to journey with people. You've got to be willing to walk with people. You've got to, be walk, you've got to walk with people that, man, sometimes their lives are as broken and hurt and they had hoped and everything has fallen apart. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not even heading that, but I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll sit down with you. I'll share a meal with you. You want to know one of the most spiritual things you could do? Share a meal with somebody that's hurting. Share a meal with them. Because it it says, and when he broke the bread, then they recognized him. See, when you enter into that relationship with someone, all of a sudden there's a recognition of, now I see Jesus at work. Now I see what Jesus was doing all along. See, I couldn't see before. Before, all of my life it was just filled with doubt and filled with how could this happen And yet Jesus comes and he invites us into communion. He invites us to take a walk. He invites us to take a walk. He invites us to share a meal. And he invites us to open the scriptures. And it's that simple. You want to know how to be a successful missionary? You want to know how to be a a successful mechanic? You want to know how to be a successful builder? Walk with people. Walk with the hurting Enter into relationship with them. Break bread with them and open the scriptures. You do those three things and I guarantee you Christ will be revealed. Just walk with somebody. Slow down long enough in your journey to listen to someone's story. 
slow down long enough to like, hey, let's just take this walk. Let's go together, and I'll just listen to you. And, and it's not about just me trying to give you the answers. It's, I, 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 know, I know before I, I do it this certain way. There's certain predispositions in your thinking, and God's got to do something in your heart before he fully reveals himself. And so while we're on this journey, even if it takes longer than I want it to take, I'm willing to walk with you. I don't know about you, but seven miles is a long ways to walk. It's a long journey. And with some people in your life, you've got to walk a long walk. You just don't like, sometimes you just don't tell them about Jesus and they get saved and all of a sudden everything's okay. Sometimes you've got to walk with people for years. Sometimes you've got to cry with people through the deepest night of their soul. Sometimes you've just got to sit there and just shut up and just listen. You know, Job's friends were awesome until they started talking. <laughs> they just sat there with him. And he was filled with the, the, the ashes all over his body and he had lost everything. Sometimes the best friend you could be to someone is just to sit with them. Enter into the relationship. And let's break some bread together. What's going on in your life? What news I haven't heard? Let's open the scriptures. Let's see how this looks filtered through the cross. Let's see, let's see what the cross says about this. Because I don't have the answers. I don't know why this happened in your life. I don't know why you've gone through this pain and this suffering. And, and, and the reality is that as people of faith, we might not get that answer on this side of eternity. But I know in the end, there is one that knows more than I do. I know that there will come a day where we will fully know him just as we are fully known. And this moment where we walk with people and we share meals with people and we just open the scriptures, people. You know what it produces? It produces this conversation where these men say, listen, did our hearts not burn within us? Was there not something different about whenever I went and hung out with Kyle and Kyle just walked with me? It was just something. My heart burned within me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm still struggling with some of these things. I might still be struggling with, with doubt, but he walked with me. He talked with me, and now my heart's on fire. We've got to go and tell somebody. We've got to go and tell these other apostles what's happened. Because I think, I, think, I think there might be resurrection. I think, I think, I know for my whole life I've just believed when you see this cross, things are dead, but I believe that maybe something different has happened. Did our hearts not burn within us? Hearts not burn. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.